It's time for Twink This Week in Google. We've got some special guests. Andy Carvin from NPR, the amazing Twitter journalist. And Chris Messina, he's in charge of Open at Google. Coming up next, This Week in Google. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for This Week in Google is provided by CashFly. C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Twig, This Week in Google, episode 87, recorded March 23rd, 2011. Google Gaga. This Week in Google is brought to you by GoToMeeting. Visiting important contacts from New York and L.A. to Bangalore and London is time-consuming and expensive. Have meetings online instead with GoToMeeting. For your free 30-day trial, visit gotomeeting.com slash twig. And by FreshBooks, the easy online invoicing service that gets you paid quickly and makes you look more professional. Get started with a free package at freshbooks.com. It's time for Twig this week in Google, the show that covers Google and the cloud. And joining us right now, uh, starting uh, in my upper left-hand corner, we've got Gina Trapani. Hey, Gina. Hello. Smarterware.org. It's great to be here. Great guests. Excited for a good show. I got an Lots email from Steve Martin who said ah. he hates Backupify, but he's really happy with ThinkUp. Awesome. He's Love having... to hear that. <laughs> so you have a fan. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, he's probably going to send you a plastic bunny ears or something as a thank you. <laughs> I would love that. It's 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 kind of surreal getting emails from Steve Martin. I have to say, it's kind of awesome. It is more than awesome. <laughs> yes. Yes. Also with us, uh, actually, another great guest in studio. Uh, Jeff Jarvis is here as usual. But uh, look at that guy to his right, Andy Carvin. Hey, is also here. Andy's a guy we keep promoting on uh, the Twitter. Uh, <laughs> what's your title at NPR? Senior strategist. Oh wow. Are yeah, you, that's how I react. Are you a, are you a journalist? With Middle East coverage, so. Are you a journalist by training? Uh, I'm a writer and documentary maker by background, but have worked in online community organizing going back to the mid-90s and have also doing a lot of online disaster response. So this is just second nature for me. It's just focusing on news and reporting instead. We've mentioned many times that if you follow A. Carvin on Twitter, you will get an amazing curated list of links and tweets and a, a very interesting material on well it's did it start with tunisia you've been doing it for a while i guess yeah i started in tunisia just before christmas and since then it's expanded to let's see egypt, egypt. iran <laughs> yemen uh, bahrain uh <laughs> libya morocco and a few others and japan and japan yeah you're mr democracy plus tsunami yeah something like that yeah, yeah. it's really started. it's really i mean I, I i couldn't be more sincere when i say that this is something uh, everybody who is interested in these breaking stories should follow. But I think w we talk about it a lot, I know Jeff does, because it's a totally new way to get information. It's a new form of journalism. Well, I, I think the thing that's new about it is, on the one hand, it's like I'm using Twitter for doing live anchor coverage like a broadcaster yeah. would. 
But rather than relying on producers and editors and researchers to hand me information, I just ask my Twitter crowd uh, because I'm, I'm essentially a one-man band. I don't know everything. I don't even speak Arabic. And so if I start hearing things from a particular place in Libya or Bahrain, I start asking for assistance and people come out of the woodwork to help me figure out what's true and what's not. And, of course, the crime of it is, is while Charlie Sheen has well over 2 million followers, <laughs> you've only got 37,000 followers, and yet... It is arguably one of the richest Twitter streams out there for real content. So thank you, well, Andy. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate it. If you and every time I've plugged Andy on the show, uh, I talk so fast that I get tweets the next yeah. day who? saying, who, who was that guy who? again? Who? who was that? Listen to that guy. Who? Right. A-C-A-R-V-I-N. It's easy to remember. Just think of a car driving oh. into a French winery. A exactly. <laughs> No, that's not yep. good. A, a carvin. And there. <laughs> and, and the groan comes from Factory Joe, <laughs> Chris Messina himself. Hey, Chris, thanks for joining us. So great to have you. Yeah, welcome to be. Uh, glad to be back, actually. Chris is an uh, open web advocate at Google, but, you know, he for years has been uh, taking the lead on open standards across the web. Joined Google. Well, it's been now a couple of years at Google, right? No, no, actually, it's been just over a year. It feels like longer. I know, I know, right? Yeah. It's uh, the the epic struggles that we've uh, faced yeah. together. But I, I commend Google for 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 bringing in somebody like you, and commend you for, you know, going into the lion's den. Uh, <laughs> but but where better to go to to promote open standards on the web? Yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, it took a long uh, a long hard thought to sort of figure out what I wanted to do next um, about a year ago, and. Uh, Part of it was just having a number of conversations with different folks, thinking about where I could make the most impact and um, who was sort of actually most uh, seemingly aligned with um, where I thought the web needed to go, especially the social web. And so um, after having those conversations, Google seemed like a, a natural fit. I mean, they're obviously a big tech company, but um, they've also been really adamant about ruining open standards um, and open technologies for quite a while. So um, hoping to do more of that here. Did you have to talk them into letting you on the show? Uh, no, no, actually, uh, so far they've been pretty good about that. And, um, you know, PR has been very supportive of, of what I've uh, done. And in fact, the interesting thing for me that I've, that I've learned is that in the last year, I've, I've kind of gone underground in a lot of ways. And that's because I've been doing a lot more evangelism inside of Google, helping Google to sort of understand what's going on outside of, um, you know, the, the, the Mountain View campus um, in terms of the social web and in terms of uh, the different technologies that are out there. And, um, you know, they've they've also been supportive of actually getting more of more folks in developer relations and throughout the company blogging and using social media. So I think that's actually been very positive. In fact, uh, it was about a week and a half ago I was on an internal blogger panel. You know, sort of talking about the ways and hows and how to do it and how to make it work. And um, I think stuff like that is very promising. That's great. Uh, Chris is one. Chris, of the what's the what's the um, the biggest kind of message that you've wanted to get across? At Google, or the Google most needed. What, what's the what's the cultural mm. bridge you built? Um, you know, I think it's I think it's ongoing. Um, I think part of it for me is, you know, it's not just about technologies all the time. Like, uh, of course, out in Silicon Valley and the open sort of standards world, um, we talk a lot about tech and about formats and protocols. But at the end of the day, it's really about creating great products and great product experiences. So a lot of the conversation that I've been having is like the struggle between, well, you know, we want to do the open thing, we want to do the right thing, but we also want to create a great product um, and a great user experience. So how can we achieve both? And um, I think part of that is understanding 
what Google wants to do um, for the web, and then how can we work with others to build a better, more interesting ecosystem that enables apps that currently aren't possible because we lack interoperability in those basic underlying technologies. Well, as long as we've got Andy here, and I know Andy's not here forever, so why don't we, <laughs> little logistics here. We've got, of course, a lot of news to cover, but I think uh, it's an opportunity uh, if, uh, to get Andy uh, on briefly. Uh, I, I take it that you've got, to, you've got to go back to tweeting or something. Yeah, <laughs> well, I've actually been, I've been tweeting this whole time, thanks to my phone, but I, I probably do have to get running in about 15 minutes. <laughs> I've been tweeting the whole time. So has it become, it must have become, no, but it must have become so kind modern. of a full, well, well, I'm looking at it right now, and a lot of what you're doing is retweeting, which makes it very easy, because uh, you right, don't have to type anything. Yeah, most of what I've sent out in the last five, ten minutes have been retweets from sources that I've found to be reliable in the last couple of months. There have been a couple of tweets that I chimed in on that I was either skeptical of or wanted more information. And so it's, you know, it's the kind of thing you can type one hand and get out pretty quickly. Uh, but uh, what I've really tried to do is identify who in each country has the right information, who's more reliable. And for those that are somewhat questionable, how I can involve my Twitter community to vet them. Right. So it's it, it's a combination of several things going on at once. That's, we, what, that's what I was wondering, Andy. What what tool do you use? Any tools to sort of um, take notes and kind of you know establishing reputation uh, on some of these sources? You know, what are what are you using to you know besides just sort of asking your Twitter followers about you know determining reputation? What are you using to kind of keep track of who are the people you feel like you can retweet safely or are like good sources and and who who you want to stay away from? It's really just virtual shoe leather at this point. I, you know, I typically use TweetDeck, but there's nothing inherently about TweetDeck that makes it better than other than other Twitter clients. Essentially, what I do is I always start and try to figure out who I know in any given country. Fortunately, for both Tunisia and Egypt, I had at least a half a dozen trusted sources already due to previous travels there. Uh, and while f watching them on Twitter, I could after a while figure out who they trusted, who they re retweeted or replied to the longest, how long that they had been following each other on Twitter. You can tell from the intimacy of some of these conversations how connected they are. In some cases, I discovered these folks were brothers and sisters or, or husband and wives. Uh, and uh, after a while, you just start noticing these patterns in the way people talk to each other. It's been mm -hmm. a lot harder in, in places like Libya, of course, because very few people are online and everyone's using aliases. And frankly, most of my contacts on, on in Libya have either gone missing and one of them, unfortunately, was killed this weekend. Oh okay. So it's it's a lot tougher to vet things there. But having said that, the vast majority of the user-generated content you see coming out of Libya is real and comes from Libya. It's just a matter of figuring out the appropriate context, the whens and wheres and whys. Right. Right. I mean, I think that's a really a, a big, big question for me. Something I, I, I struggle with in building ThinkUp is like fig figuring out, you know, determining authority and expertise, and like figuring out those relationships and how people talk to one another, and 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 how they're related, and what makes them, uh, what what makes them authorities, and what makes them good sources. So I was interested to know. So it sounds like this is happening. You're working your contacts like any journalism journalist would, but also sort of using information that you've gleaned just from watching people interact to figure out who's uh, who's a good source. I mean, I mean, that's an interesting question. Can you automate this, or does does it just <laughs> Does it have to be done by a human, you know? Um, we've been talking about various ways of automating some of it, but I think for it to really work, you need to at least know one or two people that you know, can trust and rely on. Once you know a couple of people, you can probably run some scripts to get a sense of who they're closest to. That's that's certainly conceivable. But like in the case of Libya, the reason why I was able to find contacts there was because I first tried identifying contacts in the Libyan expat community here in the U.S. and getting on Skype with them and saying, who do you know that's actually there? Which of these Twitter users are real? Which ones are fake? 
and they just talked me through all as many of them as they could and uh, and helped connect me to a number of people that have been tremendous sources uh so uh there's always actual journalism taking place in the background even though you won't what you see on twitter is a culmination of open news gathering and reporting and studs trickle like oral history all happening at the same time it's it's kind of a bit of a jumbled mess one reason I'm here is to try to work on this out of CUNY and figure out new ways to develop tools that will help this. It's a new form of journalism, Neil. You're absolutely right. And, and, and it breaks out of the idea that we're always just storytellers. It instead says that the witnesses are telling this and, 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 and Andy is adding journalistic value throughout. One thing, since I have this audience here, one thing we're going to try to bring at CUNY is some analysis of um, Andy's experience on, on this, and, and I want to look at the data and, and analyze and visualize the relationships that have occurred here and see who follows whom and who retweets whom and so on and so forth. So if there's anybody out there who is a real whiz of this kind of visualization and analysis. Gee, I wonder if there's uh, Gina Tricconi is listening. <laughs> I was just thinking that. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's exactly what ThinkUp does. Yeah, right? I mean, this is this is what we're working towards, right? Is visualizing these relationships and seeing who, you know who's who, and, and establishing authority. I think is is a really big a big issue. And I and I totally agree. You know, someone's just got to get on the phone, and, and and you know, you can't do this with a script. I think there's got to be uh, so some human intervention involved. But I think that that software like like ThinkUp, or I hope that software like ThinkUp can help with that sort of thing. I mean, it's. But, Anyway, I, don't, I, didn't mean to, I didn't mean to turn this into a commercial. I was I was genuinely interested just from a developer's point of view of like, you know, how we could help help someone like you, Andy, do what you do. Um, because it's so it's so important. It makes me feel less bad about following Lady Gaga on, on Twitter. <laughs> it makes it okay. And, and Lady Gaga. Yeah, it makes yeah. it okay. It does. Charlie Sheen, though, just don't go there. Well, it, but it can yeah, make, no. it, it, <laughs> in all seriousness, it can be a little disorienting when Lady Gaga's talking to her little monsters and all of a sudden you hear about a big monster in Libya. It's just, it's a little, uh, but that's what Twitter, kind of unique to Twitter, where it right. is all jumbled together in, in, in interesting ways. I don't mind yeah, that. Yeah, that's actually one of the things I hear the most from people is that they find it really disconcerting that they're following their favorite fashionistas or whatever, and that at the same time seeing me tweet photos of the latest batch of corpses coming out of a city in Libya. The other thing I get the most are people praying for my safety because every single day people think that I'm somewhere. I, just earlier today, someone was tweeting me asking me when the hell I'm going to get out of get out of Benghazi, like so many other reporters have. I said, well, you know, I, I wish I could do that, but I'm, you know, I'm, I was sitting on my couch with my cats and my kids at that particular moment and I was in Palm Springs last week so the only thing I had to worry about then was like a sunburn so it's it can be really strange but I guess it's also a sign of people thinking what I'm doing is effective if it if it seems like I'm actually there yeah and Gina seriously I, I you were my next call <laughs> okay great yeah let's yeah let's do that oh I think it's fascinating yeah we'll For definitely sure. be in touch yeah excellent uh, I, I and I also enjoy it because um it shows that uh, while there's a lot of amusement factor in all of this stuff, and there's nothing wrong with amusement, there's also a lot of value. It's all mixed together. And um, I guess that's, that was true of television. The problem is television was linear. This is aggressively non-linear. <laughs> you know, well, you, you, I think we talked that you have, you have uh, a couple of Indiana scientists who found that by tracking the, the words behind six moods and their opposite, they could track the up and down in the Dow um, uh -huh. uh, to like 90 percent accuracy right. and there's now a new hedge fund that started out of that um <laughs> and they should learn that you know a, a different way to do things here and right it's funny. Yeah. yeah but i think that the, the, the this idea that you're capturing the knowledge and psyche and news of the people now that's new and that's what that's what excites me so much about again what Andy's doing is that he's adding the journalistic value to that because it's too confusing it's too much but there is 
you've got to be open to seeing the value that's there, which yeah. is what Andy's done. Yeah, it's definitely what I'm trying to do. Because you, I've hear, heard people say, well, it definitely feels like you've got the pulse on your finger on the pulse on what's going on in Libya. And I think there's some truth to that, except in this particular case, the pulse talks back to me. The pulse translates <laughs> for me. Wow. Pulse volunteers to do all sorts of things that there's no way I could do on my own. And so, you know, honestly, uh, it, I don't care if I have 100 followers or 100,000 100, followers on Twitter, as long as a critical mass of them are subject matter experts and people with experience on the ground and people who give a damn about these places because they're the ones that let me do my job well. But what's and the, the tricks you learn, if you, uh, Leo keeps kids safe, right. but tell me uh, how, how the first search is when a big news story happens. Oh, yes. So, for example, uh, when the uh, U.S. Airways plane went down on the Hudson River, the uh, very first thing I did was try to do a proximity search on Manhattan, searching from a, a time frame beginning before any of the wire, the wire stories went out, and searching for phrases like plane, river, holy shit. <laughs> and the reason why, and it, it's really important that you do stuff like that. For earthquakes, I search for what the hell was that? What now, the fuck was but that? But the, the search is on Twitter, not on Google. You're searching on no, Twitter. On Twitter. On yeah. Twitter, because people use fleeting expletives on Twitter in the same way they do in real life. And so if you can guess how a person's responding to a situation, oh, interesting. you can often find the eyewitnesses that way. Yeah, because if you're an eyewitness, you say, holy Holy crap, what was that? Yeah, yeah that's that's brilliant. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> you're giving away your secrets. Yep, so now I don't have to do this job anymore because you can all do it. Well, I wonder how viable this job is. You know, the New York Times is putting up a paywall. When do we get an Andy Carvin paywall? Uh, I you mean, know, it, how do you make a living doing that. this? It wouldn't work. It, you know, even mm -hmm. if I could find enough people who wanted to pay for my Twitter feed, the reality is, is my Twitter work is successful because I've got so many it people to know public. what talking about following me. Yeah. And so... Like I said before, I'd rather have almost no one following me as long as the people who are have experiences in the places I'm trying to cover. And that's to me, that's much more valuable because I, I don't see this as trying to monetize my Twitter account. I see this as trying to improve the quality and diversity of NPR's journalism. That's my primary goal here. Oh, here, here. Money's not bad, but you know, but but I think we can make journalism a lot better and well, make it viable. But kudos to NPR for paying you. So they're in if part of what they pay you to do is this. Yeah, I, you know, part of my day job has always been to experiment with new tools. This case has been somewhat strange because as things escalated in uh, Tunisia and then in Egypt, I started to ignore meeting requests and canceling meetings and mm. just delegating work to people that I had no responsibility or right to give it to them. And as the weeks went by... Uh, People started to notice, but they were very positive about it. In some ways, I'd equate it with the guy in the movie Office Space who starts spacing out and goes to work and knocks down his cubicle wall and starts basically doing nothing and gets a promotion for it. So uh, so I'm kind of like not doing my job in an official capacity, but yet all the higher-ups here seem very pleased so far on how it's going. But watch out, copy machine, because there's... Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Andrew exactly. Carvin is yeah, might, might lose it. Are piling up right. Everybody should follow Andy. Do you... Are there, do you know of other people uh, like this, Jeff or Annie? Are there other people doing this kind of work? I think this is unique. Well, there are certainly some people that are doing a very good job uh, live tweeting the revolutions. For example, there's a guy, in, I believe in the UAE, named Sultan Al-Qasemi, who's been tremendous because not only does he keep in touch with everything going on, he's a fluent native Arabic speaker, so he's got one leg up above me in terms of being able to keep up on tweets uh, that are in Arabic. Uh, I'm somewhat different in the sense that I have NPR as a bully pulpit, 
whereas he's doing this because he just loves doing this. Uh, and also the fact that I'm able to, I, I really focus on trying to get my followers on Twitter to help me. And he does that to a certain extent, but it's in some ways the primary way that I'm, I'm, I'm doing business on Twitter because I would never call myself a Mideast expert by any means, but I feel like that I've got enough followers who are in, invested both in me and invested in the situation in the Middle East that they're willing to volunteer the time to make my reporting better. Thank you for what you do, Andy. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. And you've you've got a hundred so new followers right now. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you all speak Arabic. <laughs> a a C. Just remember, a car going into a vineyard. A C A R V I N uh, on Twitter. Follow him. And uh, thanks to uh, your your bosses at NPR for letting you do this. And thanks. I hope others. I mean, it really is a template for others to do this. Of course, if you are in the middle of it, if you are, if this is your personal story, you're going to do this kind of thing. But I think it's. I think what we need is more meta curator curators at a high level, like you are, Andy, covering um, more more stories. And I think it's a really interesting form of journalism. Uh, you know, uh, if, if you wouldn't mind, like, uh, sure. I think it's interesting to see what Andy's doing. Um, I, you know, I had the pleasure to meet Andy um, at South by um, a, a rare snippet that I do recall, and um, <laughs> <laughs> he remembers your hat too. So there you go. It, well, yeah. So there was something going on there. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, it's interesting because uh, a friend of mine, uh, Nate Ritter, sort of did something very similar, though perhaps on a on a smaller scale, in uh, 2007. Um, with the San Diego fires. Right. And, I remember um, that was the first time that really broke out on Twitter. I do remember that. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And, and folks so at KP, think, KPBS were very involved in doing that too. Right. That's the local NPR PBS station in San Diego. They basically said, we don't know what the hell's going on across the counties. We need you on Twitter to help us figure it out. And they did an amazing job. So, you know, I would never pretend that what I'm doing is new. You know, I remember folks doing this when Benazir Bhutto was assassinated several right. years ago. Lots of people did similar things during the 2008 election. I think what's different in my case is I've dropped all of my other job responsibilities and I've made this more than a full-time job. Uh, way more. Way more. Yeah, because I'm doing this 16, doing 17 now. hours a day. Yeah. yeah, seven days a week. And I haven't done in the last five minutes, so uh, no. hopefully they don't think I'm dead or stranded somewhere <laughs> in Libya. Does that happen sometimes if you don't tweet in 10 minutes? People go, Andy, are you there? Yeah, I do. I get it all the time. And <laughs> half of the people say, Andy, stop apologizing for going offline. And others say, thank you. You weren't run over by a bus. That's good. <laughs> there, was, there was one night when, when Andy, there was a huge night. I don't know which one it was. It was a huge news night in Egypt or something. And Andy said, I'm going to go to sleep for six hours. And I was in Europe. So I saw the moment six hours came later, and I just tweeted, I'm your alarm clock, Andy. <laughs> Wake <Yeah>. up. <laughs> and, and I got up a little bit after that, and next thing you know, Mubarak resigned three hours right. later. Wow. Wow. So thank you for the alarm. <laughs> actually, we need to write a script so you can DM me and have my phone freak out. That would actually be really good. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Andy. We'll let you go back to work. But thank yeah. you uh, very much for being here. Uh, Thanks, Leo. Yeah, good seeing really, all of you. Take really care. Really interesting. Take care. Thanks, Andy. Yeah. Andy Carvin, NPR, uh, and uh, prolific Twitterer. You know what, Chris, it strikes me uh, the, uh, that this is a really good example of how, and of course you were on Twitter very early, uh, how you can design something like Twitter and have no idea how it will be used or what it will be. And I think this happens all the time in the net these days, doesn't it? It's, it seems to be the case of, of good emergent systems. I mean, I think uh, this, is, this is the whole premise of, of working on open you know, formats, essentially technologies that allow, well, and I, I'm, I'm diving too deeply into the, the tech stuff already, but... No, go, go, um, go. We want you to do that. I'm, I'm just, and, I, and I'm sort of making this point because I think Twitter did this um, in an amazing way very early on. And in fact, I think Ev and Biz have had a knack for doing this. Um, if you think about 
blogger mm-hmm. early on, you know, mm-hmm. when, when Evan Biz were working on that. Um, really, that was taking sort of a known medium, uh, you know, like, like newspaper articles and moving into a digital um, domain. So you had the titles and you had like this sort of long text body content uh, that, that you would read. And of course, there weren't a lot of people blogging uh, at that time in uh, you know, the mid-2000s. And so you could subscribe to people and you could read their entire blog posts. As more and more people learned how to use computers and how to type and how to be proficient at it um, in the, in the um, subsequent years, Obviously, it became harder and harder, at least it was for me, to keep up with all those things going on. And meanwhile, people were moving over to their mobile devices um, for staying in touch and communicating. Uh, Prices started to come down. It was more accessible. Yada, yada. All these things happened. And what I think is interesting is that Evan Biz, you know, this is my, you know, sort of mental model for how this all worked, kind of took the, the model of blogging and they chopped off the body and just took the subject of the post um, and allowed you to turn what was previously a private communication channel, namely SMS, into a public mm. uh, communication yes. channel. Yeah. And uh, they did that right at the right moment. They resisted change for a long time. And that simple creation of a new communication channel that was e- extremely limited and restrictive actually defined a new medium that was so much more accessible to so many more people because, as it turns out, it seems, most people can string together at least 100 characters <laughs> and form some sense of a thought. Um, whereas stringing together a hundred sentences uh, is not something that all of us uh, can have the ability to do as I'm demonstrating right now. So you're giving them a lot of credit for having uh, uh, understood that they were up to something. Uh, whether they understood it or not, I think they knew well enough that you know these communication mediums take a long time to evolve mm-hmm. and to emerge. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, I mentioned uh, Nate Ritter not because it's like, oh look, he was the first person to do this, but because there's a role and several roles that end up being really important in the evolution of social media. And so if, you're, if, if the software, the technology that you introduce or create is monolithic and doesn't allow for there to be observers and curators and creators and subscribers and favoriters and whatever the different sort of mechanisms are that people use to, to engage, then your medium is very likely to, to fail or to take uh, an extremely long time to actually take off. And so, you know, you mentioned television and you mentioned... Um, well, I guess a sort of sort of radio fits into that. These are very like one-way sort of broadcast mediums. They're very cheap to sort of like produce once the infrastructure is there, but it's very hard to replicate that infrastructure. So on the flip side, blogging um, is very cheap to reproduce. It's very cheap for lots of people to actually participate in, whether from a readership perspective or from a publishing perspective. Um, and then there are the, the people, you know, which we've seen through Wikipedia that show up and just want to sort of improve things. They may not want to sort of be creating their own content or writing their own stuff, but they'll notice every typo that you make or, mm-hmm. you know. But we uh, need them too. Like that. Yeah, we need that, them that, too. That's my point. So I think what, what Twitter did was they created these different roles um, almost accidentally. Again, like back with Nate Ritter, there was no retweet back then. Right. All of us that retweeted would type RT, the username, and then the original post. It was all manual. And eventually Twitter was like, okay, that's interesting, but it kind of like, you know, screws up your feed when everyone's writing the same content because they're retweeting somebody's witticism or something like that. And so they adopted that and they said, you know what, this is a behavior that seems like it could be useful and valuable. And so we're going to create a new role, um, which is the retweeter. And there you go. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I, I think one of the keys here, this is true of all entrepreneurship, is when you build something and don't know what it is and you are able to hear well enough mm-hmm. when your public tells you what it is. Mm-hmm. Right? And that was true of both, for Ev Williams, it was true of both Blogger and Twitter. 
where you know he knew there was something there, and Lord knows, you know, kept Blogger alive by the dint of his determination. But it took a while before you knew. Oh man, this really is something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it's it's true for hashtags too. Um, mm -hmm. When you know, when I put those out there in the beginning, uh, you know, I was mostly like ridiculed. Uh, people thought they were kind of stupid and like so nerdy that that you know. Of no one would Cena ever would use those. Like Only yeah. Chris Messina would ever want hashtags. <laughs> and I kind of believed that, and I was like, that seems probably true. Um, but I'm going to do it anyways, because uh, So you were I'm the like first that. person to do that? Yeah. Wow. Thank you, Chris. Oh, well, Chris, I want to ask you. By the way, it's, it's, uh, we thank you for the dick bar as well, because without hashtags. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so if I were getting paid by Twitter for, for all the hashtags that they're getting sponsored, then you could thank me for the dick bar. But uh, <laughs> not, I can't take credit for that. Wow. But Chris, that's interesting because I've heard of, client to, go ahead, go ahead, I'm sorry. What was the first Twitter client to sort of to make a hashtag search a clickable, searchable thing? Do, do, you, do yeah. you do you know? Actually, I'm pretty sure it was Tweety, um, uh -huh. which is now the official Twitter client. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And so uh, when I first saw that, because you know, again, like the, the the both the success and the use and the proliferation of hashtags themselves. First of all, we're never guaranteed. Secondly, it seemed completely crazy and outlandish that anybody would really ever support them, even though like, I hope that people would understand that until Twitter supported groups in some capacity, we needed some other way to you know, bring ourselves together. And um, once Tweety supported them, I started to see other clients do it too. And in fact, actually, you know what? I, maybe I'm a little mistaken. So I think that was the first client, but one of the first apps that actually supported hashtags was the search engine that they acquired. Um, so Surmise, right? Surmise. Oh, yeah. So Surmise saw the value in that because they're like, oh, you search for the hashtag and now you can click it and that'll actually execute a new search. So that, you know, and, and going all the way back, Twitter used to have a feature when you could tweet via chat called track. And, uh, you know, Steve Gilmore loves the track. But I love the track. I miss the track. Right? <laughs> right? So it was like push notification based yeah, on things. Yeah, it was awesome. You want to subscribe to. Yeah. So when you did hashtags, it was a way of sort of saying, hey, I'm interested in this thing. Yeah, so all my friends were at South by Southwest. Let me track that content. Then, of course, they decommissioned track and uh, replaced it with trending topics. Mm. And then it, uh, it became very clear that hashtags would be the way to sort of game that system. Um, and so it became the way that people actually form these ad hoc disposable groups. Right. And especially when you're in mobile, especially when you're in SMS, you need something that doesn't require any overhead and is extremely you know, fast and cheap and dirty. Chris, can I ask your advice on something? I, I, I mentioned this on the show where the problem with a big news event like the ones Andy covers is the hashtag quickly becomes fairly useless in finding original material. Yeah. And it becomes discussion. And then it becomes so gigantic you can't even follow it. And I suggested, uh, made a suggestion that Leo brilliantly amended um, to include another character, let's say an exclamation point at the end of a hashtag to say, I'm actually a witness. And yes, it'll get yeah. gamed, it'll be perfect, but it's another signal. Now, the first question is, does that make any damn sense? But the second question is, if it does, how does one start to get people to um, use it? Uh, how did the hashtag spread? Yeah, so... Um, and I actually, I followed up on your blog post. I left a comment um, sort of describing some of the, the, the other proposals that people have had around similar things. Um, I think number one, the, one of the reasons why the hashtag took off is because it was solving, or at the time, it solved the problem, at least for me, which was yes. to provide additional context for what I was talking about. So if I was at a conference and I said, oh my God, that speaker was amazing, my followers would be like, what the hell are you talking about? And then I'd go back and forth and have to explain it. Um, if instead... I was able to say, you know, uh, 
hash web 2.0 con or something like that, now you have context for at least knowing sort of where I am, what my context is. Um, so that was sort of a, the, the, the generation of that idea. As well, it allows people to sort of find each other um, in sort of a serendipitous way. So whether it's through searching or seeing other people using the same hashtag, you can kind of express your affinity for that idea just by using the hashtag uh, in, in line. In terms of introducing new formats or, or new techniques, um, I think it's, it's, it's absolutely a challenge, but of course it's totally possible. But I think that, that the thing that I've discovered and, and that I posted on your blog post is that people will engage in activities during emergency scenarios that make sense to their survival. And right. they're not thinking about the journalists, they're not thinking about the newspaper, they're not thinking about these other things when they're running around trying to find their family. Um, so whatever it is that you want to have as, as a behavior that gets adopted or, or widespread, either one needs to be practiced all the time, duck and cover, call 911, all those things that need to be sort of grilled into the population because they're things that you do on such a seldom um, time frame that you never know that you're going to need them, let alone should you be paying attention to them. Um, on the other hand, if they're activities that you engage in in your day-to-day -day life and they just become part of, you know, this is what I do. Whenever I tweet, I throw on a hashtag. Or whenever I tweet, I throw on a witness tag or however you want it to be. Um, that could be a way of starting to help spread that information. But it, it's got to start with a couple people demonstrating that behavior, getting some benefit from it, and then allowing other people to emulate that in their own context or circumstances. Yeah, or else and it's just I appreciate that advice. I yeah. think it's important. I think you're right. I think, I think the main advantage is not getting to journalists. If I were in Japan with all this, I'd want to know other people who are here so I can ask them, is there any yeah. gas station open? You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I think, you know, I, I mean, I, I really support like the, you know, the goals and the ambitions of, of what you're describing. It just seems like it's a really hard thing to get people to sort of it get is. in the mindset of doing it. Maybe impossible. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Another, another thing has changed since you added hashtags, which was, you know, at that time, the universe was small, and a lot of people, probably a large percentage of all tweeters, followed you. Right. So you, you had a lot. I mean, now I think it'd have to be the company that would introduce anything at this point. There's just too many. The universe is too big now. Well, you know, I think that's true, but I think at the same time, if you if you started off in these small like pools, right? I mean, this is kind of where ha where um, uh, lolcats, you know, came from, and all sorts of internet memes. I mean, like Charlie Sheen. It didn't have two million or however many millions of followers he had, you know, before two weeks ago. Yeah. And so it is possible, obviously, if you have your own notoriety, you've been in many, you know, films with people, um, then, then you can sort of promote these things. But I do think that internet culture has a way of self-propagating if there is a message or if there is a meme or if right. there is something that resonates. So, okay. so I guess that's the piece It's still it. possible. It's, it's entirely possible if you, if you hit the right vein. Yeah. And if anybody, if people know how to do that, please contact us because <laughs> that's right. We, there's a lot of money <laughs> to be made. Book to sell. <laughs> uh, well, if you don't, it's great. It's so great having you on, Chris, and I appreciate it. And a great conversation. If you don't mind, I, we can take a look at some of the uh, hot news stories that are bubbling up. Uh, there's quite a bit of news, uh, actually. I don't, I almost don't know where to begin. Um, perhaps we should start. It's not exactly our uh, our. Um, our uh, beat, but I think it's an important story with uh, AT&T buying T-Mobile. I'll tell you where it is our beat. It is our beat, you bet. Because I, there's, I, there's no Nexus S or Google uh, Nexus One without uh, T-Mobile. I don't know what they're going to do now. And it gives, as the single GSM carrier in the U.S., it gives AT&T extraordinarily uh, clout. This is true. Um, 
Unfortunately, I probably can't say too much about that. I actually don't do a lot of work on Android. Um, not to mention the carrier stuff is uh, extremely uh-huh. interesting, don't e- don't I suppose. Even, yeah, don't go, don't go there. Yeah. yeah, A little bit complicated. Yeah. I do think that, you know, one of the things that I thought was really interesting also that's in the news is actually how um, all the Sprint numbers now are enabled as Google Voice numbers. So I didn't have anything to do with that, wow. but uh, I think it's a pretty awesome feature. So and, is uh, Sprint going to use Google Voice as its voicemail system? Is that the idea? You'd have to read into the details specifically, but the idea, as far as I understand it, is that if you are a Sprint customer, you now get all the great benefits and features of Google Voice. Which is really, it, it is pretty interesting that they announced that with the uh, the Nexus, the 4G Nexus S, right? That Google They're Voice get came, next, came built in. The next Nexus. And that, I mean, it really isn't an advantage to the carrier at all, right? Because it gives you number portability. You can, you know, you can switch, you know, you can switch phones. But it's, but it's all the extras, right? It's all the different features that, that you know, Sprint doesn't have to build, um, right. you know. Yeah, you get visual voicemail for free, like. basically. Right. Well, Sprint's trying to position themselves. Their whole ad campaign is that they're the only ones who mean unlimited. And at some <laughs> point, if they're the smallest carrier by far, which they'll be, you know, do they become the carrier of choice for geeks who understand this world? They're not there now, but these kind of steps give them a credibility that, that they didn't have before that could be important for folks like us. Yeah, absolutely. I and, mean, I th- you know, I think there's there's a lot of great stuff happening in the mobile space right now. And, and you know, I'm constantly trying to, like, stay abreast of, like, everything that's going on. This latest thing, I think, is just very, very interesting to watch and sort of to, to, to imagine what it means when your phone and the services that it's tied to um, provide you with all sorts of great, right. um, you know, experiences. It was, I mean, that's always the first thing I do with an Android phone is I turn on Google Voice and use that as a messaging system. I just mm-hmm. like I like doing it better with a pure phone. I'm glad to see that the four the first four G Nexus will be the Nexus S on Sprint. I'm not as as excited about it as a CDMA phone because it means it's not going to be a world phone. But mm-hmm. but at least uh, we're going to get four G, and at least somebody's going to still make and sell a pure Android phone. So I'm happy about that. Um, any other thoughts, Jeff, about the uh, AT and T acquisition? Thirty nine billion dollars might take as long as a year to close. Of course, it's got to get regulatory approval. So. Well, all... it goes back to the Schmitternet discussion, which, by the way, is not a joke on 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 Schmidt, uh, Eric Schmidt. No, no, and Internet Schmitternet. I I think that, that that especially with the FCC's proposed rules on net neutrality, it becomes all the more troubling mm-hmm. because it's an oligopoly, and uh, less competition means more control there, and same old boat, same mm-hmm. leak. What about those who say, including O'Malley, who was a, uh, I agree with you, very uh, unhappy about this. That it is at least is an opportunity for the FCC to strong arm some concessions on net neutrality out of AT and T. Let's hope they have the burritos to do so. That's exactly right. Yeah, because we haven't seen much evidence of that. I think uh, Kevin Purdy said my favorite my favorite thing, which was he's a T-Mobile customer as I as I am, and he said, "Oh, this is too bad. I've been enjoying connectivity through obscurity for <laughs> yeah, so long." Yeah, connectivity yeah. through obscurity, baby. <laughs> Tethering free. Unlimited yep. bandwidth, free, a very affordable plans. All of that's gone, although it is an opportunity. And I'm interested to see Sprint immediately jump into the fray. It's an opportunity for Sprint as now the, the really the small guy left. And Verizon's already said we're not going to buy Sprint uh, to say, well, okay, we'll take the mantle from T-Mobile as, you know, the alternative carrier. Well, how do we, you know, is there uh, internet triumphalist, Twitter revolution guy that I am, uh, you know, shouldn't we T-Mobile customers, and I am one too with my beloved thing, Samsung um, Galaxy S, organize and scream and and start Facebook groups to say these are the things we demand of you, AT and T. Yeah, 
Well, let's let's take the bull by the horns. I agree. Uh, right to the FCC. You know, this, this thing's going to take a year to close. Right, right now to the FCC. Say you better make sure that AT and T gives you some concessions here. And you know, I kind of like that world where you've got Verizon and Google saying no, no net neutrality on wireless. If there's an alternative. This could be a big win for AT&T to say, well, we'll protect your net neutrality. This is a big opportunity. And AT&T is not in, uh, insensate to the regulatory issues. The press release, you know, already started spinning. Whoa, you know, this is good for rural customers. 45 million more people get 4G. Notice, by the way, they didn't mention phone coverage at all. I can't remember. I think it was Joshua Tupo, or Neil I. Patel on Twit this week said, you know, that press release didn't say anything about phones. It was all about 4G <laughs> data. You know, nobody cares about the phone anymore. It was an article in the New York Times says that in four years, uh, text messages will exceed phone calls as the way uh, people used to communicate with one another. It's all about the data, baby. Uh, let's see. What else? Android App Store uh, on Amazon. Uh, kind of disappointing. It, it, not very many apps. 3,600 apps. Did you, and did you a want crazy more? roundabout process to install it, which is the thing that I really right. was wondering. How are you going to install it? Yeah, right? it's, not, it's not going to come through the, the Android market, yeah, right? right? So you have to enter your phone number or your email address, and then you get a link uh, to that yeah, you click on on your phone, and yeah. then you have to uncheck <laughs> install. You know, don't install apps huh. from unknown sources. I mean, it's 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 quite a uh, a thing to get it installed, and, and you know. And you know there was the promise of free Angry Birds, right? Like that's why that's why I you did it, it. Um, at which I, I got it too. But it doesn't work if you uninstall the App Store, which is interesting. And what? also, Angry Birds uh, won't work if I uninstall the uh, Amazon App Store. Right. If you if you got oh, the Angry Birds man. Rio from the Amazon App Store, then you un uninstall the App Store app. And apparently, I haven't tried it, but apparently, if you try to play, it'll say, "Hey, it looks like the App Store's uninstalled. Please huh. reinstall to play." So that's I guess all the free apps then. Because they say yeah. they're going to do a free app every day as as the incentive. And uh, I, my app, I had I had submitted it, it got it approved, and I've since updated it. So then last week I submitted my latest version, but they never approved it. So they're selling an old version, <laughs> four versions ago of my Ooh. app, which is so frustrating. Well, and what happens? So I paid for it on the marketplace. Is do they have a mechanism for somehow carrying your existing customers over, or do I would I have to pay for it again? I I. I think you'd have to pay for it again through Amazon. I mean, you through wouldn't, Amazon, right? I'd... Because you already have it. Um, but yeah, Let me I go. Think, Let I me see, because I have it on here. You can see to-do.textop, which I love. I it, use religiously. Let's go to the Amazon App Store. The other thing is it's not very pretty. I mean, it looks like Amazon. Yeah, yeah. And, and honestly, you don't want to buy it because it's the wrong version. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And it's gonna, is it going to overwrite my old version? Right, would it, right. Will it overwrite the old one? It's a, good, it's a good question. It was the same APK, the same, you know. So let's see what's free. Uh, Although I guess I got to check every day to see what's free today. World Series of Poker, Texas Hold'em. Well, I'm going to get that. Of course, I got the, my problem is I have a Nexus One, which has literally no, I mean, not literally, but almost no room for, I know, for I'm, apps. I'm, getting, I'm running up against uh, I keep deleting apps because there's no there's no room in here. Yeah, me too. Uh, but I love this phone. I'm not knocking it, but I'll probably get one of them Sprint phones. Uh, so you're on here. Huh? Oh, Leo, you're going to get every phone alive. I know. <laughs> it's just me. Just, it's just me. I mean, By the way, Gina, like just so Amazon's you know. Amazon's going to launch a device, right, running Android with the market. This 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 seems pretty obvious. Yeah. But, but uh, Apple says, hey, we own App Store. Oh, uh, right. They're suing. Now, uh, we were talking about this on uh, Security Now earlier, and it's fascinating. Uh, Steve Gibson was talking to his patent and trademark attorney who said this is a great story because Apple 
was turned down initially for the trademark app store because it was descriptive. It wasn't a, it wasn't a specific trademark. <laughs> Apple reapplied, saying, well, it's descriptive. It's, it's become a trademark now because of us. It describes the Apple App Store, so in use, it has become a trademark, and it was give, they were given the trademark. So they do have a trademark they're defending for the word App Store, but I think Amazon's attorneys probably said, you know, this might be a little bit of a shaky. Apple is actually risking losing this uh, here. <laughs> Interesting. Speaking of lawsuits, Microsoft suing uh, Barnes & Noble over Android in the Nook. Is this the beginning of a Microsoft campaign against Android? And Microsoft asserts that Android violates its patents. Maybe they go after Barnes & Noble first, slowly build up some, some law, come marching after Google. Android infringes on Microsoft's patents, so Microsoft suing Barnes & Noble yes. for the Nook? Yes. Do you follow that? And that makes sense <laughs> because... <laughs> You're following me here! Okay, okay. That's just how it works. In fact, it's not unusual to see that, where you, you would go after a licensee first. I don't know, partly, you know, sometimes it's to build up a war chest. I don't think Microsoft needs a war chest. But the <laughs> other reason you might do it is to, is to kind of test the waters here and see what the courts say. Right, right. <laughs> Ugh. What are your friends? I know, uh, Chris, when we have a Google employee on, Chris Messina works for Google. He, he does not speak for Google. I'll give you that disclaimer. And you don't work in the Android division, but do you have an opinion on this Microsoft suit? Uh, given, given where I'm sitting right now, no. 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 I, I don't know. I have nothing <laughs> to say. I will let the attorneys handle it. I know. I just had to ask. <laughs> I, you know, I, I will say something entirely different, though, about something sort of related. Um, which is about the launch of Firefox 4. Um, <laughs> now, we should say Chris was an early evangelist for Firefox. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's how I got my start in open source, actually. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it is, it is actually somewhat related. And I think it's, it's going to be interesting to see what um, Mozilla and Firefox are able to do with their, um, you know, web app store. Um, they've talked a lot about it. Um, they, I guess, have some some designs and prototypes in mind. I'm very curious to see what their user experience will be, um, since that seems to be something that they're going to need to, you know, up the ante in, right. in the next five or six releases that they're doing this year. Well, of course, Chrome already has its uh, its own web store. Oops, that's not a picture of it, but that would have been had I pushed the right button. Chrome already <laughs> has its own uh, web store, but they don't call it an app store. It's just a web store. Right. Yeah. Right. So avoiding that... Uh, well, it's, just, it's, it's a sort of different model. I mean, it's similar. Um, you know, a lot of the, the, the Chrome apps um, are all HTML5 apps, which I think is great. Um, I'm still waiting for the other shoe to drop with a lot of Apple's apps. That may not happen now since they've got such great um, native support. But, um, you know, I sort of wrote about this uh, a long time ago, um, saying that Steve Jobs hates the App Store because, hmm. you know, I remember the that. iPhone, yeah. right? The iPhone, so when the, when the iPhone first came out and... I've only heard sort of speculation about this after the fact, but um, <clears throat> when it first came out, of course, there were no apps. You could install apps. It was like locked down. And the best that you could do that was close to an app was you could install a bookmark on your home screen. Web apps. And, and Steve put apps. a hard sell on for web apps. He did. Yeah. He did. Right. And so for me, this is like, you know, as an open web advocate, I'm like, yes, yeah. this is amazing. This is great. Right. Like finally, we're going to like get a web platform that yeah. can compete with, with native apps. Um, it can be portable. You can, you know, access these apps in your browser, yada, yada. Non-proprietary. That's right. You know, uh, as long as you got a browser, you know, you're in the game. And uh, 
a lot of uh, Mac developers didn't like that story so much. They had their tools, they they knew how to build stuff, and uh, eventually, you know, they they came out with. Uh, well, what turned into, you know, iOS with the ability to build apps, native apps, um, and the whole app store thing to sort of provide them. And that had never been done before, really, in software. Um, the fact that there is now, you know, the, the Mac desktop app store is also this sort of strange fluke in history. And um, it's going to be very interesting to see if it's possible for others to sort of uh, deal with that. Um, so it looks like I'm actually getting kicked out of this room, so I'm going to have to uh, stay for a while. <laughs> well, thank you, Chris. You didn't sign up for this conference room. <laughs> <laughs> no, let me tell you, uh, real estate is actually at a premium. Here. All right. Well, Chris, it's been great having you on. Chris is Open Web Advocate uh, for Google, and you can find him on the web. Uh, he's, got, he's got one of them uh, uh, .me pages now. It's uh, Chris, Chris Messina. Who, or who are you using for this? Is it you or...? Uh, no, actually, it's a verb, V-I-R-B dot com. Uh, okay. Love those guys, and uh, they've got this great little like web app builder um, behind the scenes. So, verb. That's where it's at. I'll have to try them because I got all the other dot me's. I might as well get a verb. <laughs> Thank you, you Chris. <laughs> next, next time, game us and put things on the whiteboard that, you, that we'll think are right. great secrets we've seen. All right, yeah, a blank <laughs> whiteboard. Yeah. Oh my God, what are they planning? They covered up the whiteboard. All right, all right guys, I'm getting kicked <laughs> Thanks, out. Chris. Gotta see you. See you Thanks, later, Chris, Chris Messina. It's great. Always great to talk to Chris. He's a uh, He's one of the they didn't just kick out you. They kicked out the whole audience of Twig. Little Jeez. do they know. There's 50,000 <laughs> people in this Google. conference room. Oh, <laughs> too late. It's probably, probably Chris DeBona did it. <laughs> said, I was supposed to be on this show. Chris was supposed to be on this show. He gracefully stepped aside for Chris Messina. Chris DeBona will be on next week. No? Oh, cool. Well, he couldn't get a conference room either. I'm sorry. Two weeks from now. <laughs> next week. Oh, next week, another Googler. Dan Russell will be joining us. What does Dan do for Google? He's like a search guy, right? Yeah. It's cool. Search Fabulous. Google search guru. Uh, let's take a break since we've we've lost our panel. <laughs> Half the panel's gone. Was it something I said? It's your fault, Jeff. Uh, let's take a break and regroup. What do you say? Uh, think up, think up, think up. Okay, now uh, there was a little subliminal ad, but I'll do a real ad right now for FreshBooks. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, FreshBooks.com. FreshBooks is a great way if you're in a business for yourself, and I know a lot of you are because it's the middle of the day and you're not working. So you must be a... <laughs> <laughs> right? Right? That's who watches this show. Yeah, it's you're true. a consultant. Uh, you're billing by the hour, and instead you're watching This Week in Google. No. PJs in your home PJs. office. Life is good, isn't it? But there's one little thing in your life that sucks. And I know what it is because for years I was in the same boat. It's printing up those invoices, going up, firing up OpenOffice or Microsoft Word and doing an invoice. Nothing worse. In fact, it's so bad that I would never send invoices. I'd get around to it nine months later, and that does not endear you to clients. Let me tell you, there's a better way. I found it in 2004, thanks to Amber MacArthur, and uh, I encourage you to try it. You can actually love invoicing with FreshBooks.com. It's easy online invoicing. Once you upload your logo... You just you can quickly create an invoice. It does all the math for you. If you do bill by uh, bill by hour, there's an iPhone app and there's a web app that'll actually, you know, let you uh, record your time, and then automatically just import it right into the uh, invoice. It couldn't be easier. The invoices are sent by email. Now there's a reason why you might want to do that, but just to reassure you, for a very affordable fee, you can also have FreshBooks print and mail, stamp and mail your invoices so you don't have to touch it. No more licking of envelopes. Now, the reason I liked the email invoice, besides the fact that it really looked good, 
is there's a button on it that says pay this invoice. And I love that because you can automatically charge your client's credit card, set up auto billing. They can pay it from a credit card or 11 other electronic payment services, including PayPal. They don't have to print a check. They don't even have to think about it. And according to uh, FreshBooks' own uh, customer survey, FreshBooks users get paid a, on an average of two weeks faster because this of this. This may save my marriage, Leo. Do you do invoicing? Ugh. It's horrible. I'm not my wife. It's awful. I hate it. Horrible. Anybody does it. You know, don't, you know, Microsoft Excel or, you know, that's crazy. I guess you could use Google Docs. But no, this is, first First of all, it's free for the first three clients. For a lot of us, including myself, that's all I ever needed. But if you need more, it's still very affordable. Do sign up for three clients and see how it works. If they ask you, say you heard it on This Week in Google, that's all I would ask. So we get a little credit for it. Uh, and by the way, every day this month, they're having a, a, a drawing among their new customers for a birthday cake. So even if it's not your birthday, you could get a cake from on FreshBooks. FreshBooks.com. Try it for free right now. Uh, I think you're going to like it. And uh, you can even give yourself a secure login page with your own name. I just, I just loved this. I was so happy. FreshBooks. In fact, I want to go back to it. Now I pay people to do this. That was easy. I'll do my own invoicing, Lisa. It's okay. No, no, never again. FreshBooks.com. All right, we have regrouped Gina and Jeff, Gina Trapani from SmarterWare.org, Jeff, Jeff uh, Jarvis from um, uh, BuzzMachine.com, the author of What Would Google Do? I wish Chris were still here because it turns out the young people, the young people want to work at the Google. A survey by uh, Universum, a consulting firm that helps companies improve their attractiveness to protect prospective employees. Apparently, that's a business. We'll make you more attractive to the kids say that 25% of their survey respondents said Google is the place they wanted to work. More than half the next company down, which was Apple, then Walt Disney, then the U.S. Department of State. Huh? That was interesting and heartening. Yeah, I guess... They want to take over the, they want to take over the world one way or another. Government service. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the FBI's on there right after Amazon. Microsoft, CIA, NASA... And Teach for America. So actually, one, two, three, four, five of the top ten are government jobs. That's really Yeah, it's pretty wow. great. I love the idealist in Teach for America. And they said that the top write-in uh, candidate, because they were shown, given a list of companies, the type write-in candidate was uh, Facebook, which doesn't, isn't surprising, right? You want to work at the places that make the things that you love. And young people love the Facebook, it's, right? So, yeah. and little, the Google. It's a little weird that they weren't given the Facebook. I mean, yeah. Yeah, that Facebook didn't appear. Whoops. Left that one out by accident. I'm sure that was an oversight. Um, what makes Google so desirable to young people? Is it the free food? The, seg <laughs> the segues in every lobby? It's probably all the press about how great it is to work there. Yeah, yeah I think you're right. <laughs> I mean, right? <laughs> I think you're exactly right. Um, that's, the culture. That's all Colleen ever wanted to do. She even told me when I hired her. She I said, know, it's so great. I'm not going to stay here. Dead set on that. Yeah, she said, I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to get a job. As soon as I get a job with Google, it's sayonara, Leo. <laughs> well, kids, you don't want to work at a big, big company. Work no, at a small company. Start something new. You don't want to get sucked into the big corporate machine. Make a name for yourself at a small place. Although, did you That's my advice. Did you see that uh, they, uh, who was it, said that uh, Larry Page uh, said that he wants to make it more like it was in the early days of Google. I presume that means more entrepreneurial. 
They've, um, they've always tried to do that. I think has, it, has any big company really succeeded? Like Microsoft splits up, splits the company, right, into little right. separate campuses, kind of create that startup feel. But I, I wonder how much you can get that genuine startup feeling at a big company. I, I don't know. When we were there for well, the I think that's why Facebook still, Zuckerberg brags about how small the teams are that build things. Is that reason, I think, in part. He's trying, yeah. you know, trying to keep it down in size. Oh, I know what that was. That was Stephen Levy's, uh, that was an excerpt from his new book about Google. Ah. That was in Wired magazine, I presume. I mean, he's got a new book about Google. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's coming out. I, I just got the galley, so I'm, I'm eager to read it. Stevie's, Stephen's been working on Stevie. My buddy Stevie. He's been working <laughs> on that for a long time. My homeboy. Yeah, my homeboy. I love yeah, it. Hasn't he been embedded at headquarters for like five years? <laughs> yeah. He, uh, what else What else came out of it? There was some very interesting stuff uh, in there. Um, That's in the current issue of Wired with yep. Lemur on the, on the cover? Yeah. Yep. yep. And I didn't, I didn't put it in the rundown. I should have. I apologize. Um, interesting, uh, interesting story. Uh, let's see here. More, more news. We got the uh, Georgia Tech story. Georgia, is this your number? I don't want to give your number away. No, I don't have a number. Good. Well, here's a number. I won't mention the story, and you, you now have a number. i got to read the story, then. <laughs> joking, just so joking. we're giving you an update on the uh, Google Books deal. Remember we talked about that a lot last year? Yeah, Siva, Siva, right? Siva Vajanathan yeah, was a regular. His book Dropping is out. Knowledge. Speaking of Google Books, his book's out, too. Googleization Jeff, of everything. Jeff, you've got some competition out there now. I know, I know. So we uh, said this is going to be go back to court, uh, and it's a battle that's going to go on. Well, it's back from court. The judge has now, according to the New York Times, rejected Google's deal to digitize books. Tuesday, a federal judge yesterday rejected that $125 million settlement that Google had proposed, and the publishers had accepted. Uh, you know, they were going to create a foundation and, and put a pool of money in it and give it a chance for uh, rights holders to get some money out of it. And now that means, I guess, Google Books is back in limbo. Back yeah, in limbo. But, but the judge did it without prejudice. So, so what he's basically saying is improve on this in ways that I don't fully know and come back. So, you know, I think it's a process. It's negotiation. I guess he's not far wrong. He says uh, this, this deal would, and a lot of people did criticize this deal, would give Google, Google a, quote, de facto monopoly, end quote, and the right to profit from books without permission of the copyright owners. A lot of people said $125 million, come on. You know, that's not enough. Um, and, and the judge did say that a universal library would be a great benefit to mankind. That's, that's the argument on the other side. But he wants yeah. a better, he said, you're right, I think that that's what he's saying. He wants a, a more fair uh, agreement. But after all, didn't the publishers and authors agree? Well, that's where, where Siva can do a far better job. The, not entirely. I mean, when he wants an opt-in versus opt-out, uh, I think that's part of the issue here, is that you were presumed to be in the deal, and who's to speak for every author? Right. So, no, I mean, the, all the authors didn't agree. Some, you know, Siva, I'm sure, wouldn't. Right. Um, though it doesn't really matter, because it's really more about the orphaned authors, which we talked about right. last year. Right, right, right. That's what the pool of money, I guess, was to, to benefit. I mean, you, you know, in the meantime, by the way, the book business is changing yet more. You've had the Borders uh, bankruptcy, and now you have HarperCollins, my former publisher, uh, trying to restrict reuse of a book, of an electronic book in libraries, which I think is pretty... Important. Yeah, they want a limited, what, limited, limited number of lending? Lend, yes. Lends? Come on. Loans. Come on, oh. it's a, it's a yeah. digital copy. It's not even a print copy. And nobody's ever done that with print, right? Said, oh, you can only lend that book out 12 times and you got to buy oh. another one? That's crazy exactly. talk. Exactly. You know, Gutenberg's Bible's been around for 500 years now. 
No, and, I'm sorry, you can't borrow that. The uh, le- the, right. the too many times it's been out. Yep. Psh, crazy. Uh, so uh, let's. I have hopes that this might not be dead. The judge seemed to, as you say, leave the door open. Google said they were clearly disappointed by uh, the result. They, I didn't know this though. They've scanned already 15 million books. Um, 20 percent of copyrighted titles have been licensed from publishers. And so those 20% are, are actually there in full. The rest the are, just co- snippets. are snippets. The, the orphan works are snippets, and they wanted to put the rest of those orphan works. That's the real problem, because those orphan works in most cases are orphan because nobody wants or cares about it. Right, right. It's, it's so frustrating, though, to think that they have that data and could show it to you, but they're just showing snippets because of this, this kind of legal battle. You know, it really would be a benefit. How valuable. And the, people, and the people who are fighting this aren't really publishers and authors. Like we said, they made the agreement. It's, it's Microsoft and other companies who say, well, no, we want this. We want some a business. It's not people who are looking right. out for the author's interests, I don't think. Right, right. It's Microsoft and Amazon saying that they don't want Google to have control over this yeah. and making money from, from this information. How dare, how dare Google do this? Yep. That's unfortunate. I watched last night, I watched a great movie, came out a couple of years ago, was uh, Oscar nominated called The Last Station about Leo Tolstoy's last year. And one of the things, his wife was so pissed off at him because Leo Tolstoy wanted to sign over the rights to all of his books at, uh, to the Russian people and, and not charge royalties. And his wife said, you, what? No, <laughs> you can't do that. He did do it. He snuck around and did it right before he died. She had a fit, at least according to the movie. And then anyway, uh, the court reversed it and gave it uh, uh, and uh, gave it back to gave the family back the rights. So this battle has been going on for 150, 150 years. Uh, uh, sadly, while War and Peace is in the public domain now, there's there are no books in the public domain for the last what is it, 65, 70 years now. Uh, how you like the new Chrome icon, Gina? Pretty, huh? I don't like it. I don't like I think it I'm the either. Only one who doesn't like no, it. No, I hate it. I, I hate I it. Hate right? it. It's, it looks it looks like it just got run over by a truck and it's kind of flattened. F- like you know those those yeah. pen, those penny machines where you like put the penny yeah. in and just like smushes it. Like that's kind of what it feels like. It flattened it. <laughs> I don't I, I don't get it. I mean I I understand the rationale. I just I like the other one. A simpler. The other one looked like it looked like a game. It looked like something you know you you the thing you bang. That's the problem. It looked like a Simon. That might be the yeah. problem. Right, which I liked a lot. Um, a fresh take on an icon, says Google. Quote, a simpler icon embodies the Chrome spirit to make the web quicker, lighter, and easier for all. <laughs> Is huh? that your designer voice, Leo? Yes. <laughs> it's just an icon. I want pink everywhere. Jeez. That is not homophobic. <laughs> That's just designer talk. <laughs> I'm a straight designer that lisps. Don't so, worry, I would check you if it was <laughs> I just don't understand. I mean, that's, but obviously this is a designer who said, oh no, 3D's out. Flat is in. Yeah, apparently flat is in. It's okay. I don't think you're alone, Gina. I don't think anybody likes this. Wait a minute. Okay. Wait a minute. Somebody in our chat room, C. Lindhartson says, I kind of like it a bit. I kind of like it a bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know why you change an icon. Um, but and why you make a big deal of it? Too. And why you publicize? Well, because you know what they know it would be a big deal. If yeah, they, yeah, yeah. If they, by the way, here's a picture. Here we are doing it. Too, thanks yeah. to TechCrunch. Here's there a picture of a Simon. It does look like the, that. That's exactly what it looks like. Yep. It's yep. maybe that's maybe the maybe Mattel said, uh uh uh, 
It is a little, I think it's maybe a little bit uh, old school to have like chrome, like 3D and have highlight, you know, specular highlights and stuff like that. Oh, now you're giving them the benefit of the doubt, Leo. Now you're coming over. It's three, it's, it's, it's so 2008. I just, I feel like the new one is just like, it, it's, it's the Photoshop layer that's missing like the other 10. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. It's just <laughs> like, the top the layer. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Chrome 11 uh, is adding, now we just got Chrome 10, but already they're working on Chrome 11. I think this is interesting. This will be the first Chrome you can talk to. It will have. Yeah, it's pretty good. Speech. Have you tried it? I have tried it, so I'm running. You have to be. You have to download the beta. So I'm running the beta, which I didn't realize was running the beta. I just I had subscribed to the beta channel a while ago and got 11. Uh, but if you click on uh, uh, there's there's a link. It's that HTML uh, five rocks slideshow. Yeah. There's a speech to text page. So if you click on the page, you, you tap on a, a button, which is the microphone. It looks just like Android, and you talk into your browser, which is what I was doing earlier. And even though I felt silly, I was pretty impressed. It does a pretty nice job, and it's all HTML five, no flash, Yay. no craziness. Wow. Do they have it yet on the Google page on the search? No, I don't believe oh, they do. That's what I don't you believe want. they do. You want, and you want the should. search box to be it, right? Google. Yeah, right. It, it should, should be. The browser it should, itself should do it. Tell, it me what I'm, tell me what I'm doing next, Google. <laughs> and, then, and then the Google would talk to you. It would be cool if the, the Google search box, you know, detected whether or not you had Chrome 11. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty well, neat. For that I like matters, it more than I thought. The address bar. Yeah. Right. 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 Well, Computer, I tell you, with Android, one of the things I... Go to Right. I love on Android, you just press and hold that search button and you say exactly that. Twit.tv yeah. and it goes right there. Um, I yeah, think, for work at homers, this is great. No one in an office is actually going to talk to right, their computer unless they've right. already got the headset on. Right. Although, you know, Can you imagine the cacophony in an open office? <laughs> Everybody's shouting at their computer. <laughs> no, I said alt.porn. Not alt.porn. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? Firefox 4 is out, and uh, so is IE9. So we, the browser wars are back, baby. Chrome 10 came out a little ways ago. Uh, Firefox 4, 4.7. Actually, I should go to the latest because that's, let me see, that was in the first day, 4.7 million, while IE9 only had 2.35 million. Let me see. Where do I find, let me see if I can find the Firefox current. It's glow.mozilla.org. Oh, thank you. G-L-O-W, Go yeah. to glow <laughs> dot Mozilla. Isn't it easier just to type it really seriously, isn't it? Yeah. Glow. Yeah. No, not go. Glow to 10.4 million. And look how look at that. That's cool. Pretty cool. I, I like this page. What is what is what does this even do? What does that do? What does this do? It's lights are going on when people are downloading. Ooh, and then there's a little, what is this at the bottom? I don't understand. Help me. Am I doing something wrong? Uh, Click. Yeah, I guess these are just, these are downloads kind of going by. Is this oh, a lot? It must be a yeah. lot of visualization. And then there's a graph. <laughs> yeah, it's a bunch of visualization. I don't understand. Wow, that's cool, though. <laughs> Even though I, get, I have no idea what it is. And then, <laughs> and then there's a Facebook button. I can Facebook this. I like Mozilla Firefox. And a Twitter party. Twitter Join party? Twitter They're party. having a party? Apparently. Whoa. On Twitter? Uh, the, the hashtag is FX4. So you have to bring your own hors d'oeuvres? <laughs> yes. Well, that's no fun. Be part of Team Firefox. They've been very good at this. I should have asked Chris Messina about this because I think he invented this whole thing. Mm -hmm. Tweet about Firefox 4 with the hashtag 
hash fx4 and your avatar will join oh i get it these yeah, are people's avatars got um, it oh golly you could be part of a giant firefox avatar wow neat. that is kind of neat good for them good for they're them they're good at viral marketing yeah so who uses firefox still here no nobody uh, nobody have you guys downloaded a four? Have you tried tried it out? It's it's pretty nice. I mean, it's 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 much faster. Yeah, that's the that's what they're saying. Which uh, is really what they had to do, right? Right. Well, it was getting so so you know bogged down by all the extensions. So yeah. I, I have a feeling it's faster because it, none of the extensions work. <laughs> none of the extensions are up to date. Yet. <laughs> that's amazing how fast you know, it is. <laughs> I know I've got to update my extensions. Oh, to do list. Uh, happy fifth birthday for Twitter, and they have a little video. I should find this video uh, to celebrate. It's their fifth birthday. Um, oh, by the way, meanwhile, you, the New York Times is asking Twitter to help it block paywall violators. Yeah. yeah. How do you think that paywall's going so far? Is there, have they started? Well, it's only in Canada. It hasn't started. It starts oh, the 28th. That's the opposite of the real world. Yeah, it started, yeah. started in. Well, Canada. Wait, well, I'm going to be mean to Canadians first. No, uh, no, I mean everybody. Let's just uh, let's just get that up out of front. Okay, here's the here's the Twitter celebration. It's a Twitter party. Five years old, and they made a video, and they put it on YouTube. I use Twitter to learn about it and share what people Richard are doing to make the world a better place. Entrepreneur, I'm interested in everything related Ooh, to space. An astronaut but also scuba diving, piloting aircraft, anything electronics, and photography. We're interested in music, Vida Bauem. news, and funny people. I'd look for paint thinner if I were them. The best way of finding out what my guests are up Here's to is Morgan, CNN host. Follow them on Twitter, which is exactly what I do. I follow Green Bay on Twitter. Oh, Serena. I always like to keep up with what they're doing. They're my favorite band. I want to stay up to date on fashion news. So RZ Rachel Zoe, I don't know. Daily. I like to follow my own girl, Martha Stewart. As Martha Stewart's <laughs> piece is scudded and buttered, baked and flaked, and she loves to wake and bake with the yeah, big Snoop Dogg. <laughs> All right, that's a that's a that's a win. It's always good for us to know what people want, and and I use um, Julian Pereira. Use Twitter as that, you know, as a as a way of learning what I should do. Um, oh, I should what do. What fans want? Scudded um, butter. You know, best critics. I can talk. To the fans, they can talk back oh, to me. Nice. Fights they want to see, things I'm doing wrong. Ultimate how fighting, baby. Whatever yeah, the Dana. deal might be. Love Dana. Are you a fan of UFC? I am. Twitter. Wow, Gina. Really? I wouldn't think UFC. Full of surprises, Arjun. <laughs> yeah. So this is pretty good. This is well done. Uh, the back to the astronaut. What's, what's the bored. Venn diagram? Pardon me. Of Glee and Ultimate Fighting. Yeah. Do you watch one right after the other? <laughs> We've had this conversation. Glee and Ultimate Fighter. Gay. That's the two. <laughs> Ultimate UFC. <laughs> oh really? Wait a exactly. minute. Yeah. A little, a little bit. A little bit. You know. <laughs> oh wow. No, I, I like UFC. I, I, I yeah. You've rocked I don't know. my like world, the... Gina. I, I had no idea. <laughs> I, no, I've I watched like, UFC. My son, my son likes UFC. Wait till I tell him it's gay. He's gonna really enjoy it. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna get email about this. I've already got an email about this. <laughs> I'm gonna get more about it today. I, I can, I can tell. No, but he, this, you know, this is the beauty of this. This is the beauty of this. It's just, it's just another thing. It's like uh, somebody has five fingers. It's just another thing. Exactly. It's not. Exactly. It no longer means. It's just a thing.
Right. New York Times paywall limit to extend beyond Google to all major search engines. Now, this is different from what I thought. So let's talk about the New York Times paywall. They are going... Now, with the Wall Street Journal, uh, a Google link on Google News was to the full article, which I always thought was a great loophole. Right. They're not going to do that? They're going to allow in social links, and you can go to the fronts of all the sections, and so you can go through RSS and such. But when you hit 20... Um, Reads. Stories, forty yeah. things a month. Yeah. It's going to put up a month, uh, a uh, a month, a month. Okay, that's considered a frequent user, which I think is a rather sad commentary on the newspaper business. Yeah, because I mean that's less than an article a day. That's that's Monday yeah. through Friday. I mean, I read far right. more than that. I guess we all are more. Right. So that's that's a frequent user, and then they're going to say pay up, and uh, you know they're going to the frequent users in the hopes that they, they keep on saying most people will not hit it. Well, okay, except that means most people are even less engaged with the New York Times, and that's, that's not good. odd. And then when you try to make people more engaged with the New York Times, your reward for that is Pay bing, up. brick. Um, you know, I, I think that they might pull it off because they are the New York Times. People care about it. It's the best in the country, yada, yada. Well, Chris started the yada, yada tonight, didn't he? Um, <laughs> but, um, that's you know, so the, the Seinfeld. It is. Uh, by the way, a friend started a, uh, somebody I know started a, if Seinfeld had Twitter hashtag. Oh, that's good. And my contribution was, uh, I just took control of a mile of the information superhighway, said Kramer. If you know that episode. Yes. Never mind. Anyway. Um, so I'm laughing inside. I know. It doesn't go anywhere. All right. Well, <laughs> you can't repeat a tweet. Um, the, the danger to the industry, I think, is that the Cleveland Plain Dealer or the Dayton Daily Disgrace will think, oh, if they can do it, so can right. we. And they can't. Right. Uh, so the policy of you get, so search engines get five free clicks a day. Right. So uh, the, for the first five articles you get through news.google.com. Oh, wait a minute. No. Not Google. Now it's really confusing. May 28th. They're taking March advantage 20th. of... No, you're, you're right about that. They're taking advantage of the um, Google freebie and stuff. And so um, that is, you're right, it's set at five. It's set at 20 a month. Uh, social links usually work. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's complex. And then you can buy... If you buy the paper in print then you get all the online stuff for free, but I think not the iPad app. The iPad app is extra. If you buy the Weekender plan, you get online for free. If you buy online only, you get um, phone apps and web, but iPad is extra. Now, incidentally, we talked about this in security now. It is about the flimsiest paywall you could imagine. It's uh, some JavaScript code, and if you turn on NoScript... You go right through it. Right. And so there have already been scripts that actually all it is is a little bit of a few divs that put something up on top of the page and disable scrolling. And if you take those divs out, um, I think there's already an application to do that. You know, part of this is if you want to go to this much trouble, uh, you like the times that much, the argument, the moral argument is then pay for it. That's the deal now. It's the price. Uh, the other argument is that if you go to this much trouble, they're still getting page views and they're getting advertising revenue and that's fine. Um, they're just trying to find a new revenue stream, you know, which one, I, I admire. I mean, I love the New York I times. Do. I want to support them. I, I, I agree with that. One of the great things in the story is that there, there's some woman in Canada who had tried to send them checks all the time saying, I should pay for this. And they had to send it back. <laughs> um, the, the, 
question really is the the Koi Van, who is the former digital direct design director, who was a really talented guy at the time, he was down at South by Southwest, he wrote a very good post talking about this as an opportunity cost. And the time spent a year and a half. Right. And in other words, missed, missed revenue. Well, not just that, $30 million in terms of missed opportunities to innovate and do new things, ah. do different things. How could you have invested that money in other things? The time started out of their lab, news.me, which uh, is now being run by Bitly and Betaworks. And that's the kind of thing that might, you know, be better for them. Similarly, Murdoch spent $30 million starting the daily, which was just a copy of the old model. So that's, that's somewhat disturbing. Uh, Coy said it was part of the reason he left the Times is because he's an innovator and they're, you know, they were concentrating all this time on just the paywall. Yeah. I'm rooting for the Times to succeed. We need the Times. I like the Times. I love the Times. I read the Times. Um, I just don't know if this was the best way to go. They, uh, they say they rolled it out in Canada first. It's coming uh, to uh, the rest of the world in five days. But they rolled it out to Canada first to uh, get rid of the bugs. And that's good because a Canadian hacker immediately created a bookmarklet that you could just drag to your toolbar that just uh, turns it off. Yeah. Goes right through it. So that's, uh, that's probably the easiest way. Just, you just drag this to your toolbar and you'll get the <laughs> New York Times without... That's silly. Ah, I think, just I think pay the, for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just pay, pay for, for it. This. Just pay for it. The Times is worth it. As opposed <laughs> to the Daily. Right. Yeah. I know a lot of people who are saying, you know, what it's forcing me to do, though, is kind of audit my Times expense. And, you know, my wife has said this, and somebody, I, a news executive I was just with today earlier said, you know, do I really want to pay all this for the print? And I really never really look at the print, so maybe it's time to cancel the print and go online only. And that hurts the times more because the print reader is still more valuable thanks to stupid advertisers. Uh, the Times has also asked the uh, folks at Twitter to turn off uh, aggregators like uh, Free NY Times, which aggregates New York Times stories, puts the links in, and I presume puts the uh, paywall-free links in. Um, so that has right. been updated to not New York Times. Is, is it now not New York Times? Yeah, yeah. That's good. Actually, no, it's still, it, it does appear to be still getting updated. Okay. Yeah. Paywall, this is why I don't like paywalls. Uh, I understand that people want to make money. I certainly support that. We try to make money. Uh, you know, you cost money to create content, and New York Times has awesome content and a huge staff and spends a lot of money to create that content, so they deserve to get paid. But it becomes whack-a-mole. As soon as you put up artificial technological restraints, um, geeks just go, yeah, that's interesting. Let's see how we can get around that. And we've already, there's a dozen ways to get around it already. And so what does the New York Times do? They're going to do, I'll tell you the opportunity cost. Now they've got to spend money and time fighting against these uh, workarounds. And there's an unknown cost to market this and to convince people to do this and to deal with the churn of people right. who leave. They did a hell of a lot of research. I know a lot of people who got, you know, surveys. Would you be willing to pay this? Would you be willing to pay that? And they uh, um, they opted for pretty expensive. It's not it's not cheap. They did. Well, they say that's what the market says they'll pay. Though there is a problem there, as people say, oh yeah, sure, I'll pay that. And, and when it comes time to take the money out of their wallet, will they really? Well, they'll find out soon enough. I think we should pay in Bitcoin. Yes. <laughs> what a what a smooth transition, Leo. That's why <laughs> yeah. you are the pro. Google, uh, we've talked about Bitcoin on uh, security now quite a bit. In fact, there was a whole episode on Bitcoin. The idea is, I'm, I'm not completely clear. It's a new form of currency. You earn Bitcoins by solving problems. Uh, in other words, dedicating computer cycles to the Bitcoin engine. 
there is a market in cash for Bitcoin. Yeah, actually, greenbacks, hard American currency. Uh, there is some thinking that that's actually just a, a money laundering effort. I'm not sure exactly how that works. Uh, but Google's now announced an open source Bitcoin client. Do you think Google wants to have its own currency? Facebook does. I'm pretty sure I had a drunken conversation with someone about this at South by Southwest. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all coming back it to me It sounds like now. the kind of thing you'd have in a drunken conversation. <laughs> it's just the strangest. So actually, it's probably a 20% project, or maybe it's not even official Google. Uh, it is in the Google code, Apache 2 license. It's a Java client for Bitcoin. They call it Bitcoin J. It's not an official Google project. It is a 20% project. By the way, Google says they're going to do donate 20% time to Japan, which I think is really great. Google engineers oh, in Japan. That is yeah. great. Uh, what does that mean? What does that mean? What are they going to They're going to, Google will allow their engineers who are currently doing 20% projects to devote those hours to helping Japan, whether it's volunteer work or... Oh, I see. So did you know that... Uh, I wish I wish they I wish them, I don't mean to be a smart ass about this. I really mean it. I wish they could put the smarts of Google around finding solutions for the damned reactor. Yes. Well, yeah. maybe that's one of the things they'll do. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, stranger things could happen, folks. Not stranger than this. Lady Gaga and Marissa Meyer. <laughs> it's a great video. I I don't I don't. Who is Lady Gaga? Says the Google search. This is pretty good. <laughs> uh, for those of you listening, we're getting a dancing search query. A billion views of Gaga on YouTube. That's actually an old number. I think it's far higher than that. Oh, it keeps going. Oh, eight, eight million followers on Twitter. A lot of kids lip syncing. <laughs> Do you Google the lyrics <laughs> to Bad Romance? Is this done by Google? Yes. Wow. Yeah, this was their kind of intro video to the interview. So Lady Gaga was at the Googleplex and was interviewed by Marissa Meyer, who is a fashion a fan. Great pairing. What a great pairing. No kidding. How was the yeah. interview? I didn't see it. I, I only got to watch the first few minutes. I thought it was really cool that Marissa seemed pretty kind of nervous, but uh, Gaga was, was very comfortable and, and um, seemed to, she, she mentioned it right away that all of her friends in high school wanted to work at Google and she sort of acknowledged there are some you know, great minds in the room. And she said she didn't want to work at Google. She wanted to be the person at the top of the search results always, which well, she obviously has, she got uh, it. Has, has done. She's got it. Yeah, yeah. But it's a good interview. I plan to, uh, I'm going to watch it later on, the full thing, the full video. But it was uh, neat to see the two of them on stage. Wow. Great reception there. That's really neat. Everybody loves Gaga. Who doesn't love? I confess, I just uh, downloaded, or what, did, what do you do when you call it, when it's RDO? It's not downloading. I added Gaga to my collection. Nice. So gay. All right. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just, just joking, of course. You're allowed, Leo. I, I, I absolve you. You I'm are just, allowed. I'm just joking. 
Being a gay, I can transfer <laughs> that power onto you. Uh, you Thank are you. allowed. So, okay, because Obertunde says I can be black. Now you say I can be gay. I am so happy. I can, You're in. I'm in. in. I, I and I say you can be old. Uh, no, that's too late. You, you, It's already happened, sad to say. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. I'm going to watch that video. I want to see that video now. That, that really is very interesting. She tweeted, she tweeted her favorite moment from it. I forget what it was. But, Marissa uh, did? Yeah, hold on. It's obviously something just, just Marissa just wanted to do, right? It's uh, my favorite moment of Lady Gaga talk, 35-minute mark. Uh, best piece of advice, if you don't have any shadows, you aren't standing in the light. Wow. Mm. That's heavy. Heavy. Let me think about that for... Yeah, Sorry, I, that. I brought the show down, didn't I? Sorry about that, Leo. Go <laughs> to the first show. have... Wow. You're not staying... Well, how, how far into the... Uh... 35 minutes. 35-minute mark. Well, I'm, I, okay, you watch. I'll do an ad, and we'll come back. Uh, this uh, Then we're going to get our, our tool tip and uh, number of the week. Jeff, you can look, but uh, I left uh, one, I left left one, one for you. Take this as a gift. <laughs> <laughs> Time to mention our friends at Citrix. I'll give, you, I'll give you a number. How much do you think it costs on the average business trip? According to American Express, $1,000. Many of us work with people around the country, around the world. And uh, those traveling expenses, not only uh, expensive, it's, it's time-consuming. It's, it's just a... Nobody wants to do it. That's why I recommend and use GoToMeeting. We've got to go to meeting coming up right after the show with uh, one of our suppliers. It's just... Uh, it's so wonderful to be able to uh, meet with uh, clients and colleagues uh, on the Internet. And GoToMeeting makes it so easy. You can try it right now for free for 30 days. Go to GoToMeeting.com slash twig, G-O-T-O-Meeting.com slash twig. Uh, 30 days free. It'll give you an idea of what you can do with it. Now, the, one of the things I really like about GoToMeeting is, um, is that uh, your clients, your colleagues, don't have to jump through hoops to have a meeting with you. So you install it on your system. It'll, it'll integrate with your email program. You send out an invitation. All of a sudden, they've got the invitation. They know what time. It includes teleconferencing, VoIP, or regular phone. Uh, they've got a great uh, iPad app, so they can even meet with you on an iPad, which is fantastic. 30 seconds, they'll install the software, even if they don't have it already. And then you're ready to meet. I just use it for t all the voice conferences, because if I want to fire up a screenshot, I can. Or they can show me something. It goes both ways. Go to meeting.com slash twig. I've been using it for years. I want you to try it now free for the next 30 days. I think you'll like it. G-O-T-O meeting.com slash twig. Gina Trapani, your tip of the week. Quick tip this week. Uh, Google search, getting a little smarter, making educated guesses about what the release date is for movies and video games. So like if you Google Ooh. Sucker Punch release date, it'll say at the top of the results, best guess for Sucker Punch release date is March 25th, which is later on this week, and it will, and it will um, cite what the sources are. Uh, so it seems to only work for um, movies and video games, but it'd be interesting to see... It, this kind of thing work for things like TV shows and, and other things as well. That's really neat. That, again, trying to, trying to make you, uh, give you the information you're actually looking for. Right, without making you travel off to another site. Right. Yep. Very clever. Jeff Jarvis, your number of the week. Well, thanks to you, Leo, we can do Georgia Tech gets $1 million to build a benchmark for the open internet to well, see how open it really is. 
And um, all the more interesting since, you know, the Google Verizon deal, does the Internet include the wired Internet or does it include the mobile Internet? Right. And what's really net neutral? But I think having a benchmark to decide that is good. The other thing I would like to put in a pitch for is I want to have a definition of high speed for hotel rooms. So we can go <laughs> hit them over the head with our machines when they do not work high speed in what definition? I want a benchmark for that. Well, I, I have to say, we need bench, benchmarks or def definitions for a lot of things, including what the hell is 4G? Yeah. Yes. Uh, what is broadband? I can think of a lot of things we don't have. We yeah. need definitions yeah. for, actually. I'll give you one more number, too, since in honor of Andy, and thank you for having Andy on. Yes. Uh, he's he great, boy. Mm. He's, he's magnificent. Yeah. Most tweets he's done in one day. Again, most of it's retweet, but he's done 1,300. Oh, man. Whoa. That is a full-time job. Wow. It is. My uh, tool of the week is a much improved Google Latitude for iOS. Um, they've updated, they've been updating all the Google tools. I mentioned Google Search last week. I was showing the old version, it turned out, but, but you get the idea. Uh, the new uh, Google Latitude actually has parity with Latitude on Android. And, it, you know, Latitude's just been lagging for a long time. Latitude is Google's check in uh, service, you know, kind of their version of Foursquare. Um, and but it has some interesting features. One of which is automatic login. So I use Foursquare all the time. And one of the problems with Foursquare is that you have to, you know, manually tell it to log in. Uh, you can say if you're at a spot that you want to have automatic check-ins. Here, here I am at Twit. I could say post it publicly, post it with friends, check in here, and like. And I also say, oh, I have to accept this. I can also say. Uh, from now on, when I get to this place, just check me in automatically, which is kind of interesting. Oh. So they've really, they've beefed this up, and I have to wonder if this is the beginning of, see, I'm a regular, by the way, at my place of employing. I have to sign up with my Google account. But this is, this is really interesting. I can see my other Latitude uh, friends. I can see where they are. If I zoom out, I can see where they are all over the world. I actually, I liked this so much, and I thought it was so useful I uh, I deleted a lot of people because I was just saying yes to everybody, and so now I actually these are actually people I know, uh, and I get the check-ins, and I get the three closest check-ins. This is very much like the Android version, but is now on iOS. Do you think? I wonder uh, if if this is going to become. I by the way invited you and uh, you and uh, Jeff and Gina um, to be my friends, but you you haven't said yes yet. <laughs> but but I, I just wonder if, if they're if they're really kind of eyeing what's happening with Foursquare and saying, gosh, you know, we, we're missing the boat on this. Maybe we should, maybe we should now. Unlike a lot of the check-in services, this doesn't cross-check you into Foursquare. Um, mm. It's kind of interesting. I still think Foursquare as a success is still small. It's it's, it's growing, but so I there is an opportunity here. I, I, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I do think they're so. About, they're about to raise another round. I saw somewhere online. Yeah, mm -hmm. they, they've got, what, 4 million new users last year. So uh, they're growing, and they've certainly changed a lot. I think this is really, and by the way, this integrates right into places. That's what you're seeing here is the places entry for Twit. Uh, the value to Google is more signals, right? I've, I've argued this on the show before that the, the, the best signal generator from us that can then target sure. advertising and content is the winner. So how can Google really push us to tell them where we are? Right. Well, well, carrying the carrying the phone is the best indication of all. Turn this on, and you, yeah. Uh, I think this is really, really interesting. It's actually quite useful too, and I kind of like the auto login feature. But that's why I eliminated all the people who I didn't know because I didn't want to automatically tell them, you know, where my house is and things like that. Come visit. I'm home. 
Right. <laughs> or or worse, come by, I'm not home. Yeah. <laughs> come visit, I'm not home is even worse, isn't it? Um, so uh, if you have iOS, I've been using Latitude for a long time, and I've kind of polished it up a little bit because I've got it now on Android and iOS. And I think it's uh, it's an interesting alternative to, say, Foursquare or GoWalla or one of the other check-in systems. Gina Trapani is a blogger at, at our wonderful smarterware.org. You must read this site regularly. If you do not, you're missing out. I'm sincere on that. She also has a great app called ThinkUp, used by movie stars and normal people everywhere, and by the White House. So that's pretty good. That ain't bad. Thanks, Leo. All great she show needs today. Lady Gaga to use it. Oh, oh that's what I need. Seriously. I can, <laughs> but Leo could hook that up. I'm sure. I'll, I'll work that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leo can work that out. Leo's my uh, he's my connection. Me and Gaga, you know, we go way back. <laughs> uh, hey, why don't we let's get Lady Gaga on, on here? Yeah, seriously. Or, or, or Marissa Mayer, one or the other. Yeah. I'm actually, yeah, Marissa would be good. I'd be much more interested in Lady Gaga. <laughs> <laughs> I have yet to see Marissa. She's too she's too poised. I've yet to see her slip and say she's not the Eric Schmidt. Well, she, you, you need to watch this this interview with Gaga because she was giggly and like oh, I mean really like you could cute. tell she was nervous and into it. It's oh, good. How cute. Thirty five in, huh? What happens? That's her 35? line. That's what she likes. But maybe that's the should. line. That, that's her favorite would, kind of line of advice. But even just for the now. introductions, uh, you can tell she's uh, she's really excited. Well, my first question that I wanted to ask was, "How are you?" Oh wait a minute! I don't know. I've got two Gagas going. Oh my God! It's terrifying. never really asked you. Shut up! Where's that coming from? So I wanted to ask. There's too much Gaga. All right, I'll, I'll find that 35 minutes in. We'll play it maybe next time. Uh, thank you, Jeff. Uh, Jeff is at buzzmachine.com and his book is What Would Google Do? And we will talk to you next week. We do the show live every uh, every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Eastern. Highlight of our week. We'll see you next time on This Week in Google.